Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. And I'm your usually friendly neighborhood ER doc, Dr. Ward. For our first episode back, it's just us because we have gotten back from a extended sabbatical, a whole month-long vacation to Russia, Mongolia, and even a short stopover in Japan. Boy, I just flew back from Russia and are my arms tired, Josh. <laughs> In Soviet Russia, plane flies you, <laughs> which is exactly what it did. That's almost that was almost the experience uh, in Russia. Do you know Soviet just means union? So the Soviet Union was the Union Union. They really like their unions. They do. They do. So we've got a brand new season with a bunch of guests, topics. First, let's get into a little bit of our travel experiences. We're a travel show, so. Ward, what were some of your impressions of our neighbors over in Russia? So I was a little I was a little apprehensive before we left because, you know, as of our recording right now in October 2016, relationships aren't exactly what you would call warm between the United States and Russia. But when I showed up in Russia, I was pleasantly relieved. People were nice, people were friendly, and Moscow is a cosmopolitan and beautiful and modern and efficient city, if not a little confusing because we're in Russia and, of course, Russian people are not going to, you know, it's their own country. They're going to speak their own languages. So everything how is... How dare they? How dare they, right? Everything is in <laughs> Cyrillic. So, you know, we, we had to do a little catch up in learning how to read Cyrillic. Which we referred to as our Montessori-level Russian. No offense to Montessori students, but, you know, it just took a little... Uh, everything we had to read slowly. Moscow. Oh, that's Moscow. One of our favorites, when we finally learned the how to correctly identify restaurants with the Russian alphabet. And it turns out it looks... Well... We called them pectopaws because that's how we would have pronounced it in English. Yeah, it, in English, they would have been pectopaws, but in, in Cyrillic, restaurant. Yeah, the P looks like an R, or the R looks like a P, the N looks like an H. They use the same alphabet as us, but all the letters have different sounds, which did slow down our navigation quite significantly. Can I just say that Ru Moscow was, that was an impressive looking city because between the stately seven sisters buildings which are um which are buildings built by stalin to showcase the might and the power of the soviet union so they, they are gothic appearing buildings usually about what 30 40 50 stories high and they are they have these huge impressive almost steeple-like roofs and they just jut out of the skyline made with a facade of you know, it looks like granite. It's it is a stately looking built. It's it is a stately looking city. And between that and the railroad stations, with just well made statues of everything from Imperial Russian art to Soviet era art, they are just clean, 
impressive-looking public spaces. Brutally glamorous is one way of describing Russia, because you get the contrast, as you said, of these very abrupt, harsh-looking, but magnificent concrete buildings right next to the older, sorest Russia, onion domes with bright colors and lots of rounded, not even edges, just very rounded shapes. So it's a very nice contrast of geometry to see, like, stark, clean Soviet lines and then sorest domes and baubles and emphasis on design and pattern and beauty. And the two were a very, very interesting contrast. And I have to say, one of my one of my biggest surprises was Moscow has, at least in my opinion, the most beautiful subways in the world I have ever seen. It was impressive. And and I say that because you walk down and you you've seen all these concrete buildings. We all expect a Simpsons, you know, in Soviet Russia, train rides you. Uh, but what you actually see when you walk underground and is there were chandeliers hanging and swinging over the trains that were arriving. And walking through the subway stations, there's mosaics, there's sculptures, there's marble arches. It felt like being in a museum. I have my camera around, you know, turning every which way to just snap pictures of what is essentially a bus stop or a train station. And it was amazing. Cool, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, who puts marble in a train station? But uh, Russians do. And there were like rosewood benches. It looks like a steampunk great dining room or a great hall. It does. It does. Or if Hogwarts had an underground bunker. Oh, yes, yes. Um, that would actually be terrifying. That would be terrifying. But, yeah. So we we got to spend a total of three days in Moscow of which I apparently, looking over my camera roll, took a ton of pictures of various subway stations and public transport. We also visited the Museum of Soviet Arcade Games, and I know we normally throw our just the tips at the end, but you're going to see a lot more of travel tips and stories this season, and if any of our listeners are from or visiting Moscow, take the time out of your day to go check out the Museum of Soviet Arcade Games. It's all ones that date back to the Cold War, because they certainly weren't importing Nintendos and Ataris, and we got to play such great games as Submarine Fire and Tankadrome. I did love Submarine Fire. You had to look through an actual periscope. There was only one button that you had to use to fire torpedoes at passing ships, and two players could compete against each other to see who could sink the most ships on behalf of the Red Army. And our friend Crystal, who came with us on the trip, she and I played this several times, and we were high-fiving each other for achieving impressive high scores, and then we realized, based on when this game was made, we were actually probably aiming at what are supposed to be American ships. Well, so well done. <laughs> we, we felt a little guilty. Indoctrination and entertainment all in one. Ward, what was your experience of the food in Russia? Oh, it was, it was heavy. It just, it sat in my stomach like a sack of potatoes, which was probably what I ate. They were, they were very potato heavy and it was delicious. Oh my God. So much sour cream, so much chives and dill. Everything, well, not everything. A lot of things have potatoes and fish and meat. 
I don't think I ate a single vegetable except for, like, I think one beet got in there somehow. <laughs> I feel like they're not heavy on spices, but they're very heavy on flavor and butteriness. Yeah, the food the food would sit with you. You only needed a very small amount of fill of food to be filled up. We did enjoy borscht, of course, which it turns out I'm still not sure if borscht is a specific kind of beet soup or if that's just the name they give to any soup they throw in sour cream. It seemed every restaurant had their different version of borscht. I felt like the borscht was it was different in every restaurant. What one restaurant called borscht, I would not have recognized. Sure. So the food was very filling, but it's a lot of soups, a lot of potato dishes. Dumplings. And, oh, my God, dumplings. And our favorite abroad dish, which is dumplings. Uh, Russians knew how to do dumplings. Just put it. They do. In fact, um, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but um, the dumplings were so tasty that when we went to a little town on, uh, in the middle of Siberia on Lake Baikal, we were cold and hungry because, as you know, it was a rainy day in Siberia. We got soaked. So we went to a little local restaurant, and everybody ordered a bowl of dumpling soup. And it was tasty. And, in fact, it was so tasty that after one cockroach surfaced in the dumpling soup, one of our <laughs> compatriots kept eating. The rest of us decided it, that was one roach too many. Was, yeah. So, but... To be fair, this was a place that we already had doubts walking in. It just it was raining so hard we had to stop somewhere. Right. But those dumplings were tasty. What did you think about the Kremlin and Red Square? Oh, again, it was it was it was beautiful. I mean, it's given how old these structures are, I was surprised to see how clean and fresh they looked. And everything was glamorous looking. Things were colorful, gold was golden. Everything was just sharply lined. And it reminds me of a classier, more brutal, more beautiful, colder Las Vegas. <laughs> That's my way of... It's just marble, gold, and everything was big. They liked things big out there. The Red Square was huge. Yeah, the, I think the the driving theme of most of the attractions we saw in Moscow was power and intimidation. And that doesn't mean that it couldn't also be beautiful, but, you know, you stack enough marble somewhere, and you th it wasn't garish, it wasn't excessive. You didn't say, oh, of course, look how much gold they've thrown on again. You just said, this is a lot. I feel like I'm about to be crushed by, by the, the beauty of these domes or of these churches, like, everything will fall down and grind me into the dust. Yeah, it, it, it's, it was a statement. You do not want to mess with Mother Russia. No, no, you don't. <laughs> Her earrings will crush you. Now, we did get a chance to visit and speak with a friend of Dr. Susanna's, who was along with us on the trip as well, named Irina. And Irina runs her own travel show, and you'll hear from her a little bit Later in this episode, her opinions on corruption in Moscow and even uh, kind of where she likes to travel because she hosts her own travel show. Oh, Irina was a hoot. Yeah. Irina actually has the number two travel show in Russia ranked and competing with the Discovery Channel there, which is pretty impressive. And she started out 
almost in some ways like us, kind of just figuring out what she wanted to do from the beginning, only she went on to much, much more success. No, no, no. To take you back to Montessori school, everyone progresses at their own speed. <laughs> so, <laughs> Billy, don't, you know, don't get mad if you held, get held back. So do you remember any of the Russian that we learned when we were working on our Montessori level? Uh, my favorite phrase that I learned from this trip was Nyet Spasiba. So <laughs> it means no thank you. If anything sketchy comes your way, if anything <laughs> that doesn't look right comes your way, politely nod and say, no thank you, Nyet Spasiba. Nyet Spasiba. And people got a good laugh and they left me alone. Uh, we also learned how to ask, how much is it, which is skolka. Uh, unfortunately, we were very proud of learning this until we realized we could understand absolutely nothing that people responded with because we hadn't learned to count. Nope. So we walked around saying, hello, uh, how are you, which is kagdila. Kagdila, yeah. And then we would see something we were interested in purchasing and say skolka, and there'd be a rapid fire exchange in Russian. And I would immediately say niet spasiba and yeah. walk away because <laughs> I have and no we'd idea. And we go have some dumplings. Yeah. Uh, we do have a Patreon account, and finally, it is up and running. And over the course of the year, we are going to deliver extra little mini-sodes to any of you who choose to support us on Patreon. For example, this exchange of all the dirty jokes we told in Russian, starting with our actual friend Arena telling a dirty joke in a Russian accent. So let's hear one of those now. Hello. So, a Russian man goes to a sex shop to buy an inflatable rubber lady. <laughs> So, he buys the rubber lady, he, he asks the salesman if he can do different things as her, and he tells him, yes, you can use the mouse and other two holes as well, and he says, okay, I like it. He comes back home, and he is very unhappy. He brings it back, he starts shouting and asking for his money back. And he says, what is this? This is a piece of shit. You promised me good pleasure. And what did you give me? A rubber lady with a cigar and a hemorrhoid. <laughs> and the guy says, oh, I'm afraid you've inflated her inside out. <laughs> that may or may not have been aided by vodka. And... <laughs> Oh, by the way, that was one thing I learned in Moscow as well. Vodka is entrenched in um, in their culture because we went to a little theme park where there were a lot of brides and grooms getting married, and you could you could tell what the wedding was ending because I would hear a glass smash, and you would hear people chanting vodka, 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 vodka. After they had already completed the drinking, because you don't smash the glass before. Right, right, right. But yeah, that's that was a wedding like or at least engagement tradition, uh, almost like the the Jewish Mazel Tov. Russians apparently smash glasses and shout vodka for oh a good five or six times straight <laughs> um, before moving on to whatever it is comes next in a Russian wedding. But of course, every course Irina had us take it was interlaced with vodka, 
just a yeah. little shot of vodka, and that led to some very good, surprisingly dirty jokes coming from a travel show host. So in Russia, jokes about blonde ladies are very popular as everywhere else in the world. So, how do you know a blonde was playing a computer game? How? Uh, how, yeah. How? 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 By the leftovers of lipstick on the joystick. <laughs> the leftovers, you have to say the traces or traces. traces? No, we understand that. that was pretty <laughs> we got it. Natasha, that's a dirty one. That is Oh my god, that was <laughs> I, I almost think my favorite part is not even the dirtiness of the joke, but the fact that the Russian who already has an accent is telling the joke in her own version of a Russian accent. Oh, but that wasn't Irina. That was that was someone that was, else. No, that was, that was not Tasha. That was not Tasha. That's right. Yeah, but uh, a, a close friend of Irina's. <laughs> oh, that Natasha is funny. And, you know, we, we did get to hear a little bit about how Arena began hosting a, a travel show. What's the name of your travel show? Oh, it has a very serious name, actually. It's called Planet Without Prejudice. Yeah. How did you start it up? First of all, when I came back from um, the United States, my, my parents really wanted me to go to, to the university in the United States. Uh, but I came back from the States and I definitely wanted to continue studying here. I have no idea why. I don't regret it, but maybe it could be interesting not to be here. <laughs> so I went to the Moscow State University to the journalism faculty. I started, first of all, I started writing about advertising. Then I shifted to writing about uh, movies. And it was pretty cool for a while. I went to the film festivals, to the Cannes Film Festival, to the Venice Film Festival. I interviewed Penelope Cruz, and Lars von, von Trier, and many, many actors and directors. But I wasn't very good at it because I didn't have a, a... You need to have a specific education to be a good critic. And I couldn't be a good critic because I was just a journalist. I knew how to ask questions, but they couldn't be very deep because I didn't have... Uh, a proper knowledge of the cinema history. So, because I couldn't get very good at it, I decided to leave the magazine I was working for. And I left that magazine, and then one day, in uh, just buying groceries, I saw a National Geographic Traveler magazine on a stand. And I started calling them and saying that I would like to come for an interview to tell about myself. And it was a small magazine at that time here because it has just opened. They they were working on the second issue, and they invited me over um, and they asked me to write um, um, an article just so they can see if I can write or if I can't write about one of my latest trips. And I wrote an article about my trip to Ireland, and they called me the next day and hired me as an editor, not an editor in chief, but one of the one of the editors. And so I worked there for a while and I had a very nice boyfriend who worked in the bank and I was going to get married to him. We've been together for five years, but there was a special correspondent in the National Geographic Traveler who kind of broke my engagement and who is my husband now. <laughs> <laughs> and we were both fired for... Um, Canoodling? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
us for having an affair. And we were pretty bad for two or three years just filming. No one was interested in what we were doing. But by having a lot of experience, we got pretty good and we were invited to one of the channels. Had our first travel show on a car travel, uh, on a car channel, about a car travel. And finally got to my Planet TV channel, which is the main competitor of Discovery in Russia. So that's, that's uh, maybe quite a... Maybe that'll be Quite your story in travel medicine. There you go. Yeah. All I have to do is, of course, my only options then would be to have you or Santosh as my producers, and I believe you're both spoken for right. at the moment. So <laughs> we need to put a call <laughs> out for a producer. Slim, it's slim picking. <laughs> um, now, one of the other things we'll we'll move on to is. We didn't spend all our time in Moscow. In fact, we only spent a very short time, only three days in Moscow, in which we really only saw Red Square, the Kremlin, mm -hmm. and wandered the streets a little bit when I wasn't taking you know, pictures of every subway station. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Or the flea market at Izmailovsky Park. Um, we also went on the Trans-Siberian Railway. Ooh, yes, we did. That was... It is a trip of a lifetime. I'm but only once. only once. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we need to do it again in this lifetime. No. Uh, so it was a four-day stretch on a train. And uh, Ward, how would you describe our, our accommodations? They were a little cramped because we put four people into... So we were in second class, to put things in perspective. The Trans-Siberian Railroad... Line 2, which goes from Moscow to Vladivostok, I think, uh, is one of the nicest trains in the Russian railway system. Uh, incidentally, we found out that the, high, the lower the train number, the nicer the train. And I, we can speak for that because we're on train 333 or something like that. But it, we were in sec second class, which means it's, it's, a, it's a cabin shared by four people. The top bunk... So there are two bunk beds on each side and two benches underneath the bunk beds. You sit on the benches during the day, and at night, two people go up to the bunk beds to sleep. Now, if you didn't know each other, you might not choose that arrangement, and people might spend most of their day up on the bunks. But since we were all friends and we didn't mind getting familiar, we sat on the benches, which turned into beds at night. And there was not that much room for extra luggage, was there? 
No, no. I think we made it the entire three weeks, everybody working with really only one carry-on. Yeah. Yeah, so it was four people on two park benches, essentially, and a enclosed room. Now, if you were in third class, it was just wall-to-wall bunk beds with no enclosed room. So you would be sharing a bunk bed in a train car with about 30 other people. So we opted for at least a little bit of privacy because we are friendly, but we weren't that friendly. Well, you know, third class, we we all walked through just to get a taste of what it's like. And it was surprisingly, it was surprisingly clean and it was surprisingly, I don't know, orderly, wouldn't you say? It was, and that's because most of the people spent a lot of the days drinking vodka and playing cards. Right. And uh, the nights, I don't know, because we were we went to the dining car with our props of monocles and mustaches. Oh, the dining carts were nice, um, but they were more. They reminded me more of Amtrak nice than uh, Murder on the Orient Express nice. Which is a, it's yeah. a nice, nice clean bench in between seats and or uh, you know a nice dining table in between seats and there's a waitress and you know the fares are pretty basic borscht meats soups um beer yeah the russian diet seems to be soup meat vodka and beer those those are your four food groups and we we ate from all of them extensively that's right um, now on the train and it could be anywhere from two or three hours. Sometimes it was one hour. Sometimes it was only 20 minutes. We'd periodically make stops. And these stops, uh, the trains, I have to tell you, the trains in Russia run on time. They do. And on time to the point that they warn you, you know, you have five minutes at this stop. And if you stay for six minutes, the train will have left. Um, they left on the dot. At some of these stops... We we were hoping at every stop to see them, but only at some of the stops in Siberia, we noticed tiny little babushkas, uh, elderly grandma-looking ladies, sometimes in the headscarves like the nesting dolls, mm-hmm. sometimes just old, <laughs> old. <laughs> not, not dressed in any kind of cultural uniform, just with, old ladies with an Adidas waiting, track at suit, yeah. Yeah. waiting at the side of the train to sell train snacks and trinkets. And what are Russian train snacks, Ward? Oh, I'm, I have to say, they were the tastiest part of, uh, in my opinion, that trip, because Russian train snacks were like little dumplings, little fried doughs with a mystery uh with a mystery filling. And I didn't speak enough Russian to know what each of these li- delicious looking little fried dough patties contained. So sometimes they would have cabbage, boo. Everybody was like, uh, no, sometimes it'd be meat. Sometimes it'd be flavored potato, mashed potatoes. Yeah. And, and you'd really never knew because we didn't speak any of the words. But they came in all shapes and sizes and they were also sold along, um, just racks of smoked fish. Omu. Yeah, which is, as as best as Ward and I can tell, very similar to trout in its taste and and family. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a strong tasting fish, let me just say. They also sold, if you wanted something fresh, they sold bags of dill with um, pickles and tomatoes. Yeah, so a lot of what we were eating for four days straight was mystery dumplings and pickles. Oh, uh, it was tasty. Along with our soup. It was tasty. 
So we all managed to get along very well in those tiny little rooms. And we did need a break after four days traveling because there are no showers on the train for anyone in second or third class. That's right. If you're in first class, uh, there is one shower for the train car. So, it, you know, there's only two people per room, but there will still be about four rooms in a train car, and all of those people have to share a shower. So... An interesting story is that once I just everywhere in Asia, because Russian people very often go to Asia, it's one of the cheapest holidays for us. The most strange and significant trip was to the Chinese Tibet. We went on expedition for two and a half months, and that was very tough, um, because it was cold, you couldn't wash yourself for 10 days in a row, because you would have to find a place with water, which is very difficult. You would need to find a small Chinese town that would have something like a banya, mm -hmm. what we call banya here, a washing house. Mm -hmm. And it would just have a, a pipe sticking out of the wall with boiled water coming out drop oh. by drop. And you would put your hands, have 10 drops, and go like this. <laughs> and that was your... <laughs> Cleaning procedures. Well, you cheered us up. We're about to go on a railway trip with no showers. Yeah. <laughs> there are showers. You just have to pay you for them. You just have to pay oh, for yeah. them. There are. Or sweet apparently, the train I didn't know. Yeah, apparently the Provodnitsa has uh, access to a shower. And if you pay them a little bit, you can have 10, 20 mm. minutes in the shower. Okay. But Although it's only four days and you have plenty of baby wipes. You'll be fine. I <laughs> think the shower there is... Horrible <laughs> shower in the train, but not as bad as the one in Tibet. So <laughs> it'll be better than ten drops, ten oh, drops of boiling water. water. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the train chai is safe this time. That's Although right. when I was waiting for my train from New Delhi to the Taj Mahal in um, where is it Agra, right? I was extremely poor. I was a medical student, and I went and took one of the little hotels right on the street away from the train station uh -huh. because I got in really late and then the next train left very early in the morning. I found a spot for probably three dollars, like uh -huh. US dollars, by the mm -hmm. time you did the conversion. It's like, this is great! And I had this little rooftop room with a tin roof and a tiny side stall where it had a little pipe coming through and I had completely soaked myself up <laughs> by the time the water shut down. <laughs> I had to wait drop by drop to try to like get it all off of me. <laughs> now we opted to just get very friendly with one another and eat a lot of heavily scented fish and pickles. That's right. The, fortunately the window did open and uh, we left it open a large <laughs> percentage of the time. <laughs> um, all our hot water came from a little samovar, a, a boiling... I don't even have the words to describe how hot the water came out. It felt like hotter I, than like scientifically possible hot water. It, it melted the insides of our water bottles yeah. when we put it in. Um, but it was safe, free, clean water. Yeah. So there was yeah, a lot of coffee so. and soups and, you know, ramens being made on the train. And you can smell it and you can see people walking by with just a little ramen cup. Now, we did spend a couple days in Siberia, which, 
you know, I'm sure that most of our listeners, your first thought when you hear Siberia is going to be Russian gulag or work camp. And it turns out Siberia is just, it's very rural. And the only way to cross the vast expanse of Russia that is Siberia is to use the train. So the train itself is very secure. It's very safe. There were never any concerns for either ourselves or our female companions who said they would have been fine traveling alone in terms of safety on the train. Um, but Siberia is, it's rural. So what would happen is the government would take people who they just didn't want around, dump them out in the country and say, good luck. Because really, even if you tried to escape, there was nowhere to go. Just miles and miles of birch trees and mountains and scattered rivers. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Because one of my favorite things on this Trans-Siberian Railroad was sometimes just to stretch out my legs, I would just stand by the train aisle with a window and just stare into you know the scenery that came by and it was days and days and days of taiga and trees and rivers and forests yeah it was very easy very easy to lose yourself um so we did spend a couple days in the small town and i i emphasize small town of list vianca mm-hmm. uh, right on lake baikal and lake baikal is of course the biggest freshwater lake in the world. It's so deep that they have discovered numerous species found nowhere else, including a kind of seal known as a nyerpa, uh, which is very fun to say. So we spent a lot of time visiting the local seal show, the Nyerpanarium. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, can't, can't go into that. Uh, Nyerpanarium, yeah, but... where they, they taught seals to play music and paint and do other things. And apparently they're actually treated pretty well. But there's a huge, huge lake. We went fishing. And now the Russians have a very, at least the ones in Siberia, have a very interesting method of fishing uh, for our our fishermen out there. Ward, was... you're, you're the outdoorsman. Yeah, I was very surprised. Well, I love fishing. And uh, so I couldn't pass up the opportunity to do a boat ride and a boat fishing tour. And um, apparently this was, I think we were there in the, um, not during the, the most busiest, or the busiest tourist season. So they were able to, we were able to book an entire boat all to ourselves. Just me and Josh, we paid about a hundred bucks and they took us out for two hours. Um, and the Russian captain's, Again, things are just done very differently out in Russia. We were each given... They took their fishing very seriously, first of all. Like, Josh and I both got <laughs> yelled at for holding the fishing rod wrong. Just a... And not and not incredibly wrong. They're just like, no, you do it this way or you get off our boat. He, was, he, was, he reminded me of a Russian version of Popeye. He was smoking, a, you know, like a cigarette or a pipe or something. And was just yelling out commands at us and we were using our fly fishing rods um and those of you who know fly fishing usually fly fishing is done in a body of moving water (laughs) so on a lake it can be a little bit difficult so to to get the water moving our russian captains um anchored their boats in a shallow little bay in lake baikal and it was gorgeous that water was you could see the bottom of the uh the lake even up to i don't know like it felt like a hundred 200 feet yeah pretty you could see pretty deep down it was a it was a gorgeous clear lake <laughs> so, so to get the water moving they would anchor their boats and turn on the motor full speed so the motor turned up the water and yeah. behind the boat there was an artificial 
stream of water going through um, almost like a little river inside the lake. Now, you would think having the motor on your boat running would scare the fish away. Uh, but and I apparently, did. <laughs> I think it did for the most part. Well, for us it did. But they, you know, I have to say our, our captain, after yelling at us that we were fishing improperly, did manage to catch a couple very small fish himself, which he offered to share, and we kindly declined having already tasted the very strong flavor of the local omul. Yeah, I think the bag of potato chips that we brought was far more palatable than <laughs> anything we were going to catch out of the lake. But it was it was an interesting way of seeing how fishing is done. I mean, it's like, wow, that's I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, and now I, I should mention Lake Baikal has a number of legends associated with it. Uh, one has to deal with the longevity you can get or just by bathing in its waters. Now, this is Russia, which is not known for being, you know, a tropical climate at any time of the year. Right. And we went at the end of summer, beginning of fall, so before it really starts snowing out there, and we learned that by dipping your hand into the healing and refreshing waters of Lake Baikal, you could get yourself an extra year of life. Now, if instead you decided to dip your foot you would get an extra two years of life. Mm-hmm. If you dunked your entire head under the water, you would get an extra five years of life. And if you jumped in and immersed yourself head to toe in the water, you would either be blessed with an extra 25 years of life or die within the year. That's uh, a 50-50. So, I feel like yeah. <laughs> the odds now, are... now, that may seem a bit excessive, but when Ward and I opted to dip our hands in, the water was an ice bath. And this is, again, in August, when the temperatures were such that we didn't really even need jackets. Yeah, that water was cold. I mean, it just gave us a taste of what Siberia can offer in terms of, in terms of uh, frigidity. Yes, yes. So Dr. Susanna and, and Crystal elected to take the gamble. Cold. So they both jumped in. Uh, immediately almost shot straight out with how cold it was. And we'll find out if Dr. Susanna doesn't host it all this year. It may be because uh, the legend of Baikal claimed her. Uh, let's just They shot out of there so fast that Nirpas were going, damn, girls. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of our stay on Lake Baikal, we decided to treat ourselves to a feast at the Lake Baikal Legend of Lake Baikal Hotel, which was actually a lovely hotel right on the Lake Baikal with a full view of the lake, balcony area, and a little garden that's right on the lake. But we decided to treat ourselves to a dinner. And everything in the menu, (laughs) a lot of things were translated, how should I say this, literally, or I don't know, the the translation was a little bit off. Oh, yeah. You mean like uh, cheese 3D? There was a... or lukewarm seafood stew. Oh, and I almost ordered the wind off of <laughs> Lake Baikal, which I interpreted as a Baikal fart. Yeah, at the end of our, our feast, we think the staff might have started referring to the legend of Lake Baikal as us, the Americans who seemed determined to eat their way through the entire menu of the hotel, of which... Because uh, we were at the end of the tourist season, we were really the only guests in the whole hotel. That that was a lovely meal. That was a um, that was a plus a win for Russian cuisine. 
Yeah, so so we felt a little bit like the oligarchs of old, and we wore our monocles and feasted on, you know, five or six kinds of soup, three kinds of dumplings, a couple kinds of fish, coffee and vodka, of course, wines, and just the entire table was covered, and even the staff was like, I I don't know how they can possibly still go through this as we're ordering things like the wind off of Baikal (laughs) and 3D cheese. At the end, I I did find out uh, the wind off of Baikal was, the name came true. (laughs) (laughs) although given our our history of traveling through the third world and beyond all of us stayed very healthy this entire time it was not hard to find clean drinkable water Mm -hmm. nobody suffered from any kind of uh, gastrointestinal distress we didn't have to use any of our packed medical kit items really very very easy country to travel through other than fighting off a few mosquitoes we were we were fine yeah, the mosquitoes don't mess around there, and mosquitoes in Russia don't care if it's only 40 degrees. You know, mosquitoes who can't handle 40 degrees in <laughs> Russia are a bunch of wimps. That's right. And, and we were like, oh, it's going to be too cold for mosquitoes, and no, no, it was not. We were swarmed so they, immediately by mosquitoes when we took a nice little hike in a Siberian forest. Mm-hmm, and they came by with their, you know, furry hats and <laughs> and parkas and just drained our blood incessantly. But luckily, mosquitoes in Russia are not the same kind of mosquitoes as the ones seen in Africa and tropical climes that carry diseases like malaria and Zika. So thankfully, the only thing we had to worry about was mosquito bites. It's a right. different breed. Right. Other than and, the occasional mosquito bite, I, th- I don't think um, I don't think at this time Zika is is endemic in Russia. A little bottle of Vicks Vapor Rub did wonders for our uh, mosquito bites. Also covering ourselves in head to toe and standing next to the smoking Russian guard to uh, scare some of the mosquitoes away. That's right. It worked to it worked somewhat. Yeah, I, I remain unconvinced, yeah. but it did what it needed to do. Uh, that said, we've got a ton of Russian stories, Mongolian stories, and travel to share with you, which you'll be hearing throughout the course of this season, both on the show, as well as to those of you who decide to support us on Patreon. There'll be a lot of mini-sodes of 10 to 15 minutes involving travel stories from myself, improv collections from Dr. Ward, science, uh, in-depth science reviews from Dr. Santosh, and even more from our other hosts. So I really encourage you, it's you know, it's not a lot. Um, anywhere from $5 a month up will give you access to these mini-episodes. And we are going to keep making much longer ones for free for all the rest of you. That said, I believe, Ward, we're going to have to get going because we have a train to catch. Choo-choo. Fade on the dot. <laughs> so that's our our welcome back travel episode. Join us. Uh, for next time to learn a little bit more about the medical care in Mongolia. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Happy travels. And dosvidanya. Da.